it's podcast time, which means it's time for me to talk about Combat Ops Arena because they're the ones who make this podcast happen week after week after week. Combat Ops Arena, it's on Lay Road, and it is the greatest place for family fun. They have got axe throwing, laser tag, bowling, a giant arcade, and all kinds of food. So, it is getting to be Christmas time. What a better gift. Go in there and take the family, get a few arcade cards, put them in the stockings, have a great time at Combat Ops Arena. Again, it is on Lay Road and at CombatOpsArena.com. All right, to the show. you made your way back to the combat ops arena comments podcast thank you for showing up this week and if this is your first time we welcome you to the club because you'll never be the same after you listen to this podcast and speaking of life altering this week's guest is one of my favorite people on the planet assistant coach ben boudreau is on the show and this is actually a redo I actually interviewed Ben back in the summer. He was actually going to be episode number two of this podcast, but uh, the technical genius that I am, I realized halfway through the interview, I did not plug Ben's mic in. So, yeah, so this is a redo. I don't feel too bad about that because over the past year and a half, I've become Ben Boudreaux's de facto IT guy. So I've had to fix his computer on numerous occasions. So I don't feel too bad about bringing him back into the office to do this interview. And it was just as fun as the first one because Ben has got just some incredible stories. Ben, of course, he's a hockey lifer. His dad, Bruce Boudreaux, former coach of the Comets. He also was a player at the Comets and, of course, is the current head coach of the NHL's Minnesota wild so ben's been around he has got some terrific stories and he also has some hilarious also frightening moving stories because he's moved around so much in his professional life and uh they're quite funny also he's got a good one about his dad and a hot dog we talk about our special language ben and i we speak a different language to each other so be prepared to be entertained by ben boudreaux so here we go assistant coach ben boudreaux on the comet hockey podcast trying to get the job i can do something in sports yeah <laughs> what i like baseball yeah you know how i'm making those interesting comments during the games yeah that's true but usually they give those people that were involved in sports broadcasters or ex-ball players yeah yeah so i could manage yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so uh we speak in seinfeld which uh a lot of people may be aware of that language but we're one of the few i think who are fluent in that don't you think I well, there it surprises me. I just thought it was a universal thing that everybody was a Seinfeld yeah. fan. So if you make a comment, you you just automatically know what it was. We just found out last week that Legault has never seen Seinfeld, so he's been in our office for like the last year and a half, and we've been making all these references, and he kind of smiles and laughs, not knowing that he has zero idea of what we're talking about. And I was like, that must be the feeling that 
that we get when you're speaking French with somebody. It's the same <laughs> thing. It's uh, we speak the Seinfeld language. He doesn't understand. He speaks French, so it's a. I guess it's a common thing as we spread it around. But I get that with The Office. I don't watch The Office, and people yeah. think I'm insane for not watching The Office. So there's references there that I don't get, but. <laughs> To each their own, yeah. I think. But, but I that, think that's the universal one. The Seinfeld one's the universal one. So Yeah, we've got a good thing going. Yeah, it's good. It's fun. <laughs> we'll keep it going. Yeah. So, All right, so Ben Boudreaux, he's got uh, a house now here yeah. in Fort Wayne. And you went out and got – you call it a barbecue, but we call it grills. Grills. It, and it, even when we uh, have somebody over or something, everyone says, oh, you want to grill out? You know, and in Canada, where I'm from, when somebody says, oh, you guys want to have a barbecue? You know, it's like two completely different languages, <laughs> but it still all means the same thing. So it's, to me, that was the turning point in my life. <laughs> when I put a barbecue or a grill on the back porch, then I know I've officially made it. That's been the big time. When I don't have to use the community grill. <laughs> I've stepped out on my own and taken a leap of faith here, spread my wings, and life is good. But did you go and ask for a barbecue or a grill, like when you went to the store to buy it? Well, I went into Walmart, okay, and this was the thing, and I asked for a barbecue, and they looked at me <laughs> like I was speaking French. And it's the same look that Legs probably has when we're doing Seinfeld references. Like, what are you speaking about? What are you talking about? Okay, well, this is what I'm looking for. Oh, a grill. Yes, a grill. That's what I'm looking for. So I learned I learned that you can't reference uh, a barbecue. That's, you know, it's something that you keep going here. You keep building baby steps, what it's like to assimilate yourself in the, the culture of what it's like to be in Fort Wayne. So you don't, you don't, yeah, you don't realize that, you know, Canada, uh, United States, not, you know, not real different, but, you know, uh, I have cousins in Canada and he actually texted me a little while ago and we were talking about how windy it was and he goes oh it was you know 25 kilometers per hour I'm like okay what is that in American so uh, I think it's uh, divided by 36 carry the one round the remainder and uh, I have no idea <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't tell you what it is it's that's the hardest thing for me when we go to Canada is the temperature yeah well, it's always cold. I know that. Yeah, so that's that's all you need to know is what's the temperature? <laughs> Who cares? It's cold. That's that's usually my reference point. Too. But you're from Toronto. It's not that cold there. No, we're it's I'm actually from the most southern tip of Canada, yeah. which is Niagara. Right. There's a lot of places in the States that are way more north than us. So, um, you know, it's uh, it's the vacation part where you get the nice warm culture going down there in Niagara. And we're protected from the escarpment, too. So we don't have crazy winters where I was from. So this this Indiana uh, weather last winter, first time in five years I've ever really seen snow. I've been in two years in Virginia Beach. We had California. I was in France, uh, the west coast of Canada in the, the valley where it was like it was just very tempid temperatures it was great but when you're in the hockey culture and you want to go to the rink and it means a meaningful game and it's cold outside that's the that's what I always grew up knowing it was different when you're leaving practice in shorts and a and a t-shirt or anything like that it just wasn't the same sort of feeling you have going to a hockey game so when I'm here for hockey that's the kind of way I want to be I want the snow on the ground I want the cold uh, going in so um, it's it's been all nothing but good stuff now, how does your wife Carla feel about that? Well, I mean, she <laughs> the best thing, okay, and, you know, usually I'd, I'd make a joke or something, but the best thing for her is she doesn't care where she is. Um, we, we've already in five, six years, I think we've moved five times already, so she's gotten really used to kind of um, picking it up. And, you know, outside of the hockey season in the summer, that's, 
you know, that's where you kind of find it. But Fort Wayne is great in the summer. Um, we had a couple great years in Virginia Beach. California was uh, just scorching hot. I've never seen anything like it because we were inland in the desert in Bakersfield. I mean, it was over 100 degrees for, I think, the first 30 days we moved down there. We couldn't walk our dog before nine. We couldn't walk <laughs> him after uh, or until 9 p.m. Yeah. It w his paws would burn right off. And so <laughs> I made the mistake of not knowing, you know, like the, you have yeah. to get used to a new area. So we moved from Canada down to California. The first day I went into work, I left the cold Gatorade on the front seat of my car, passenger side. And I must have spent three hours in the office. We talked. I went to go out for lunch and I looked and every there was a Gatorade spilt everywhere and I was wondering what happened but it was the heat combustion I left my sunroof glass yeah. like I didn't put the cover open and the sheer heat it was like 110 degrees that day and on the inside of the car it must have been 130 140 it had exploded the Gatorade all over the windshield like it had literally combusted and to this day my car my front seat is just ruined from that red stain of Gatorade because I made that mistake, but See, I've I've done that before in the cold. Yeah, I, I left uh, in my first car. I had a Cutlass Supreme and fabric interior, and I left a, a root beer, a whole can you of must root have been beer a popular guy in high school then, eh? Oh, the, cut, the Cutlass Supreme. It yeah. was either a Cutlass Supreme or all the girls drew uh, drove Ford Escorts. All the guys drew uh, the Cutlass. Drove, yeah, the Cutlass Supreme. Yeah. So, oh yeah, that's what I mean. You had the hot car. Oh. If it wasn't a Mustang back in the day, it was the Cutlass Supreme. That's right. I had an 81 Cutlass Supreme. Yeah. But anyway, the root beer exploded, and it was literally in every part fabric of that car until I got rid of it. So. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. My my question is, how do we get this podcast up to the listeners? Like, this is heavy competition. We, I saw Shaz. <laughs> I saw PD. I mean, what Gibson? What do we got to do to separate ourselves from the others? Uh, let, let's find, okay, some Ben Boudreaux stories. Now, I've heard them all being on the road with you, and you've got some gems. Let's start with my favorite moving story. The well, Going from California to Norfolk with a trailer. Yeah. I've, this I is mean, my favorite. I don't think I've ever had an easy move in my life. <laughs> you know, and you've but, done it a lot. And I, I've, I've been doing it a lot. And uh, <laughs> that I, before I even started that, like we, to get down to California was a whole nother story. But now at the end of the season, we're relocating from – our, our franchise was going from Bakersville, California to Virginia Beach, coast to coast. And uh, the day the season ended, uh, or it must have been two days after the season ended, my uh, girlfriend at the time, Carla, now my wife, she went home. She wasn't allowed to work in the, uh, the United States. Thank you, Trump. Um, <laughs> she had to go home, start working. And Don't let Gary hear you say that. <laughs> and... Uh, now, you know, I had to stick around. I didn't have moving expenses in my contract, so I had to make enough money just to be able to afford to move home. So it was an extra six weeks I was in California doing some clinics um, and all that stuff. So um, I needed to rent a U-Haul. I needed to tow my car. We had a two-bedroom apartment. So my buddy flew down to help me. We, we would have had a little bit of fun on the way, seen a, a playoff game with the Ducks. We were going to stop in Arizona, uh, play a round of golf, and, and uh, hang out for a bit. So he came down, and we had two days to pack. And, of course, those two days we either spent at the rink or golfing. And we packed maybe in three hours a two-bedroom apartment. We didn't do too much planning. We just threw everything in the truck yeah. and hoped for the best. And and I saw how you tow a car on a dolly. So how difficult must it be to strap your own car in? 
So there we are. We may have been hung over a little bit, so our, <laughs> our thinking wasn't as clear as we wanted. But the first leg of our trip was three hours from Bakersfield to Anaheim, and then we were going to do our trip from there. So we, we had packed everything up and, and packed up in, in the loosest sense of the word. We've just thrown it in the truck. I've dr driven my car onto the two-wheel dolly, so just yeah. the two front wheels are lifted yeah. up. And what I thought – you. you Tighten a couple straps and everything's good. And um, I left my e-brake on for some reason, thinking that's what you would do. So <laughs> the back wheels are just locked, and I'm dragging my car through the parking lot, <laughs> leaving these skid marks. So that was the first mistake. I took the e-brake off. Then we started going. I filled up with gas, and I'm thinking, okay, my car's fine. And keep in mind, it's playoff time when the ducks are in there. And I had a fl uh, flag, a duck's flag sticking out of the, the car window. So here we are, 55 miles an hour, going down a three-lane highway, and somebody comes up to me in the U-Haul truck, and I'm driving, towing the car, and they start honking their horn like crazy and giving me the thumbs up. But I realize later they're trying to tell me, hey, you know, the back of your truck, something's yeah. going on. But I think he's giving me the thumbs up during playoff time <laughs> hockey in California. So I give him, yeah, go Ducks, thumbs up out the window. And he's trying to tell me, hey, you need to turn around. I'm just giving him the thumbs up. So we keep going. He speeds off. Another car immediately comes up after him, starts giving me the horn, giving me the thumbs up, but it's in the motion where you got to check your trailer. So my buddy tells me, you know, you should pull over and check check the the trailer make sure everything's okay so we pull over and the second we pull pull off of the highway i can see in my rear view window that i no longer have a car on my trailer <laughs> i have lost my car somewhere <laughs> on the highway so evidently i didn't know how to tie and loosen or uh secure fasten the the car right there and I am just panicking. I'm thinking, okay, this is dropped off on the highway somewhere. You know, I have no idea what it could have caused behind me. And the second those thoughts are going through my head, of course, what do I hear? <laughs> it's the fire. And then it's police. And I'm thinking, oh, great. My car's falling off the trailer, hit a little old lady walking her dog on, <laughs> on the side of the road. And here I am. I'm going to be deported. My coaching career is over. I'm done. And then we had to do the U-turn, the 180-degree U-turn, um, go all the way back. It was like five miles like I'd driven without my car. <laughs> that long? I believe I even made a comment, too. It's like, yeah, I don't even feel the car. Like, just wait. Like, it's easy. So then I get back, and it's just plopped on the side of the road, like almost in the middle of an intersection. It's not an interstate, but it was a highway, like, through the city. Yeah. And uh, so I stop, and there's a car looking at it. He's got... He's looking all around. It's all packed up with stuff, and he's thinking, like, wh why did somebody just abandon their car? <laughs> and I'm honking my horn, laying on my horn at the intersection, blaming it on the budget rental uh, company to that they didn't help me. So I thought the worst of it was over as soon as the trip began. But two days later, we're in Oklahoma, and I have another guy come up beside me, honking the horn, giving me the thumbs up. <laughs> we're no longer in Anaheim territory, so my senses immediately go up. I pull over. Both wheels off of the trailer have exploded, <laughs> and I've been driving this thing 
carrying my car on rims. So sparks are flying everywhere. I'm hitting, I'm picking up rocks and throwing them at every car that's trying to pass me. And I couldn't believe it. I pull over. I was like, oh, my car's fine. What's going on? The things are smoking. It's like red, you know, like it's like a grinding wheel. It's just red and smoke is going everywhere. And this was right in the middle of a a summer flooding disaster when when all of the Oklahomas and everything was Missouri or wherever was just underwater. So we couldn't get anybody to us for four or five hours. It was just a, a complete disaster of a, of a road trip. But here I am today, so I must have uh, survived and lived to tell the tale, and, and life is great after that. So <laughs> we got home. The car's no worse for wear. It's still, it's still on the road to this day, and um, safe to say I've never gone back to the budget uh, truck rental, <laughs> even though I think it was more self-inflicted right, than anything. Right, right. But a piece of me still wants to blame the, the budget truck rental oh, a little it's, bit. It's natural. Yeah. It's, it's natural, yeah. but yeah. There, there's definitely been, been a few like travel stories like as a hockey player and – um, it, it's crazy what happens. I mean, I flew home from Christmas when I was playing in Paris to surprise my dad and my brother and my sister all all in uh, California. They had no idea. Like, I'm living in Europe, yeah. and they had no idea I was going to be home for Christmas. It was great. You know, and then, you know, you spend a few days at Christmas, and I'm 24 hours before my flight back to France. I'm, I got to check into the flight, and so I go online to check into my flight, and they say, well, you have to wait till 24 hours before. And I'm thinking, this is 24 hours. What's going on? So if the year was 2012, you yeah. know, my flight that I yeah. booked was home on December 23rd, and my return flight that I booked home was 2014 a year later <laughs> so i'm trying to check in but i booked it a year out and now i'm stuck because my return flight is not for another year so i've got to get back to the to the grind of the hockey swing the next day and i've got to immediately book another like thousand dollar flight i took the red eye on air new zealand it must have been three oh my god three like uh whatever you call them connections it was just a and i can go on and on with <laughs> well, stupid and, travel stories and I the mean, frightening thing is is that when you were in norfolk you were in charge of the travel that was that the, is scary that, that was you, scary they put you in charge yeah. of that and i don't really remember anything really going <laughs> wrong because it was other people that i was dealing with but myself you know it was you know i don't care we'll just get there so everything was pretty good i believe in norfolk as far as the the bus trips and everything went so that that was pretty good so you had you had to learn from all the mistakes and <laughs> and that's what you know you <laughs> go through it you learn and you make everything better and you still check the date to, on everything try to find ways and yeah. and the last one i'll tell you this one was funny my first time moving to norfolk okay okay my wife was still working in canada right we wanted to maximize yeah. that because you know again thanks trump she can't work in the states <laughs> but i'm not going to go there so i was down there a month early and the same friend that helped me in California decided to move down to Virginia Beach. And I'm telling him, hey, you move. I'll take you out golf a couple times, and we'll make a nice trip out of it. It was about a 12-hour drive. So we did the same thing. We, we grabbed the U-Haul. Um, we grabbed my car, the whole nine. We make it down there, and the car's still attached. All the, all the stuff in, in there, I was like, phew, yeah. everything's great. Like, we made it. Like, zero problems. So I go into the apartment. They give you the key. Nobody showed me into the apartment i just opened up the door and and it's an empty two-bedroom apartment well i had no idea where i decided to live i looked online i didn't know what the area was like it was a, a like a gated thing a guard was on 
the yeah. entrance at all times, you know, only one way in, one way out. They were telling me all the great security features and details about the place and back door locks and front door locks and you've got this and you've got the emergency and think I'm thinking, oh okay, you know, it's it's pretty secure. I had no idea why I it needed to be that secure because of the area, but what my friend decided to do was there was this like little joystick coming out of the master bedroom and I've never seen this uh -huh. before. And He's like, oh, I wonder what this is. And he presses the button at the end of this, like, I'm telling you, it's this rope that just sticks out by your, your bedroom. And what it is, it's a, it's a panic button, like if somebody breaks yeah. it. And if you press this thing, all sorts of sounds go off, and it immediately alerts the authorities. <laughs> I've, I had no idea. I've never <laughs> even heard of this thing. My buddy says, what's this? Presses the button, and all these alarms start going off. And, you know, I found a way to kind of – go up to the front and figure it out. But then yeah. four cop cars came <laughs> swarming and jumping <laughs> into the apartment because they think that we're being attacked. And here we are, just two guys sitting there like, what's going on? Like, and we're being swooped in on. So we're like, it's a rough adjustment sometimes, either going to or going from. But here I am in, in uh, one piece, still able to uh, to tell you about it. And so it's, it's all good. pretty easy here in Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne's been great. Yeah. It's, you know, like with the first time coming here, David met me at the office and or uh, at the place where I was living. He had hired a couple people to help me out. And I was like, wow, this is this was pretty cool. So, I mean, it's it's been a night and day difference with this organization. So not that I just want to keep my job and, and pump his tires a bit, but <laughs> it's been a legitimate difference. So that was uh, that was kind of a cool thing. But you also played in Flint. Now, we're going to have a separate episode of this podcast. Nothing but Flint stories. We're going to have you and Chavzy share stories it's just going to yeah. be you guys uh but and maybe there's a there a could surprise be guess i don't could know be if a surprise too guest. early to say but could be a surprise guest but yeah. that's going to be a fun one we'll do that yeah. later on but share one flint story talk about uh the car situation in the parking lot yeah it's another one of my favorites well you know they give you an itinerary they say okay camp is going to start on october 1st and flint for me was only i think it was five hours from home right so i could have done that uh, drive in a day. So if camp started on, let's say, October 2nd, I left October 1st or in the, the hotel across from the rink. And as we all know, Flint's not the, uh, it doesn't have the best um, reputation as far as, as crime goes. Uh -huh. You know, it's pretty bad there, right outside of Detroit. So, but I, I didn't know that. I didn't know any history on Flint. I was just going to play hockey. And um, so we have our, our training camp meeting the next morning at the rink. And they tell us, you know, we're going to do testing, we're going to SVSU whatever, you know, university uh, that was. And we all had to park our cars in the parking lot. And I left everything. I had brought everything that I had owned with me, my computers, my luggage, all my hockey gear, everything. Hadn't seen the ice. We needed to go testing. There was going to be a bus to meet us in the parking lot. So all the players left their cars there. We went five hours of testing. We come back. Out of the 20 cars in the parking lot, 14 of them were smashed and broken into <laughs> on my first thing. My car was spared. Thank God. The but one that like, survived? The that one that survived. With It was like the, <laughs> I had the most crap in my car, though, and I don't know why. Maybe because there was just crap <laughs> there in my car. There wasn't good stuff in there. There wasn't good. They probably window shopped and said, yeah, this guy, this is only – it's – hunkering us down but guys were missing radios they were you know they were taking everything out of these cars and i'm like wow welcome to flint 14 out of the 20 cars we had parked had all gotten broken into and then it was just a flurry of great things after that it was it was unbelievable well, my question to you after i've heard these stories a few times and they still make me laugh but how did all of this not sour you from this business from from the hockey game you know 
Well, I don't know. I just wanted to play hockey. I didn't care. You know, like it was the the apartments were robbed in the first three days or the the bank in front of yeah. the apartments. And, you know, guys coming out of a bank. At, it didn't even phase me at nine o'clock. I guess, oh, I guess this is Flint. And then all the I see all the cops chasing them. We had, uh, um, you know, the police came in on the first day and said, whatever you do, you do not cross this side of the road and go into this area. That is the last thing you do in this city. They were telling us, this is just a do not enter. Well, three days later, we're going, and we say, well, we got a radio interview out of this guy's house. It's right in the heart of the area <laughs> we weren't supposed to go to. So we we tried to find it, and I'm driving my car through a seedy, seedy neighborhood. Out of 15 houses, two were left intact. Everything else was burnt down or abandoned. And I'm trying to find this place, and um, I'm trying to park on the, the road, so I finally find it. I lock my car. The guy comes running out. Whoa, don't leave your car on the road. You can't. He's like, it won't be there when we're back. He, he's got this secret garage <laughs> that he pulls open, and, and it was, everything's barricaded. I'm thinking, this has got to be the roughest part of any city I've ever, ever seen. Just the stories were absolutely endless. But you do it for the love of the game. And you, you certainly do because you've been to Norfolk, you've been to Flint, you've been to Paris, you've been to California, yeah. and you keep on coming back. Keep keep going. Wichita was in there. Louisiana yeah. was in there. Some senior men's hockey on native reserves in the most northern part of Canada. It's uh, it's all got one common silver lining, and the fact is there's an ice sheet somewhere that I want to be involved with. And you're hockey 24-7. I mean, literally. I mean, you, if there's a hockey game on – or with an earshot, you're listening to it. I'm listening, I'm watching, I'm studying. Um, that's the only way I believe that you get better. But it's, it's no matter what I've done in my life, it's always been my one passion that's always there, regardless of the date, the time, wherever I am. Uh, there's nothing I love more. And, and you could I attribute that to growing up in a hockey family, growing up in the Canadian community, whatever it is. I've just, that's the one thing that, uh, I've always known that has has never struggled to actually pay attention to. It just comes so easy because uh, it's it's my passion. It's what I love, and that's why I've I've chosen to uh, chase and and try to follow a career, make a career out of it. Did you move ar uh, around a lot with your dad when he was playing? Well, or you kind of came to the tail end of his career. I mean, I was born yeah. in Germany in '84. Yeah, you know, and and I remember visiting. Uh, you know, he would have been in Chicago. He would have been in the minor leagues. And when he was in Fort Wayne in the early '90s, I remember that because now I was starting to be six, seven years old. Mississippi, I remember in the late, late '90s, and I never lived with him, but we always visited some really cool places, some cities you'd never really ever visit. Biloxi, Mississippi, was great. Lowell, uh, Massachusetts was the opposite of great. Um, <laughs> what else was out there? You know, New Hampshire, Manchester yeah. in their inaugural season, he was their coach. And um, and then, you know, the fun parts when he when he made the NHL and it was Washington and Anaheim and now Minnesota. I think all those things were, were pretty cool. And, um, you know, if I'm ever uh, lucky at some point in my lifetime to make it to the big leagues too, I hope my son Cooper now, he'll be able to kind of say, well, I was born in Fort Wayne and we went here and there and and uh, it's a cool thing. You meet a lot of great people along the way. And it's cool, uh, you know, that your dad also kind of, you know, he'll give you a hand too. You know, he was up uh, in the press box during the playoffs last year. That's kind of neat, yeah. you know, that you, you guys talk and you guys swap philosophies, if you will. We, we talk on almost on a daily basis, which is, you know, like, oh, how'd the game go? And he always watches our scores. And we talk about practice. And if I need to pick his brain about something, you know, well, I'm having trouble with this or I did this in this situation, and he'll offer advice. I mean, he's got – 
10 times the amount of stories and experience that I have. And um, they're, they're even more comical. It's, it's almost hilarious. Uh, uh, but it's a really cool thing. I think it's brought us together, um, which, which is fun. You know, like you find that common theme. Like if he didn't have hockey, I mean, he would have been dead in a ditch a long time ago because he has nothing outside of his hockey passion. Loves the golf, but I don't think he would have made a career out of that. But it's, it's, uh, it's a really cool thing because it brings us together and it's a lot of fun. Um, and, and we both look forward to kind of sharing, sharing each other's, uh, what'd you do today? Any good stories and vice versa. So it's, it's been a blessing. But, uh, when you were playing, your dad was coaching, you got to, you know, uh, skate with the Capitals. You got to skate with, uh, Ovechkin. Yep. So, uh, that, that was great. Yeah. I can only imagine the embarrassment I caused them at certain times. <laughs> you want to know, okay, here's a funny story. All right. Here's here we go. Three, I was 15 years old when I got my first opportunity to play with professional players it was my dad's first year coaching Manchester that was affiliated with the Los Angeles Kings he was going to their prospect development camp in the summer and he says you know to the big dogs uh, the Kevin Lowe's the Andy Murray's can I bring my son along so a two-week camp I skated one week as a 15 year old weighing 135 pounds and I, I did fairly well against these pro guys I mean for what I thought was fairly well well I got as a, an invite back as a prospect as a 16 year old yeah. they they flew me out there the next year. It's my second year. I start to know the guys. I had a great two-week uh, experience living it up in L.A. Um, you know, in the third year, I, I got invited back. And now, you know, like you've been there twice. You kind of start to know some people. You know what to expect. And, and I was trying to step my game up as I was going into my first year of junior. My father, with his third year in the organization, he was only there in the first week out of the two weeks. So... We played three inter-squad games. The first week goes by. It's all practice, 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 and it's concluded at the end of the week on the Saturday with a big inter-squad game. We had like 1,500 people there. So as a 17-year-old, I've never played junior. Nobody's even bothered asking for my autograph. And <laughs> after the game, we're leaving, going back to the hotel, and, you know, a woman and her son are there, and they ask me for my autograph. And I'm thinking, yeah, of course. What else do you want me to sign? I'll sign anything. Autographs? Cool. So I'll do that. And then we had a day off on the Sunday. Well, the woman saw me at breakfast on the Sunday. Her kid was in an all-day camp. When we started talking, we hung out. I was a 17-year-old. She was a mother, you know, uh, yeah. a good-looking one at that. And so we had been been hanging out for that day, and she had a good sense of humor. And uh, she's like, I'm going to bring my friends to the Wednesday inter-squad game, right? And I was like, yeah, that's cool. Bring your friends. And um, I said, you know, I'll leave you a couple tickets because I had the powers the first time I could ever do something like that. <laughs> so I was I was pretty pumped up. And um, she brought her friends and all of them brought these big signs. OK, like Bill O'Flaherty and, you know, the, everybody was there. Right. right. The big wigs. And these people are waving signs and there's Boudreaux, you rock my world. You're number <laughs> one. You know, like your hot stuff or whatever. These women are flashing their signs and they've got all these young prospects, these future millionaires. And here's a 17 year old kid, you know, and, you know, it's, uh, just hanging out that can barely even skate on the ice and they're all the brass and the LA Kings are saying what did this guy do <laughs> for these women and the story got back to my father and he's asking me and I was like I just met this mother in the stands and, and she was asking me on my day off if she could have tickets to the Wednesday game and it just that reputation 
had carried like I saw Bill Flaherty like six years later and and he reminded me about that story and Andy Murray and those guys I guess it stood out so from a father who sticks his neck out to try to get his son into camp and all the brass are talking about was the women at the game you know like saying what did your son do to get these women in their seats flashing these boards for you <laughs> it's just been a funny funny well, there story, we go we need we need Ben Boudreaux signs now at the I games. know I know my wife won't even bring one I keep trying <laughs> telling her what is going on just one with your head on it you know yeah those big uh what are they fat the fat, fat heads? heads yeah that's what you need so uh those those are some good stuff but some of the best memories I've had it's always been one constant it's always uh, involved around hockey that's it's just been so much fun well let's let's end this on a story about your dad another one of my favorite Ben Boudreaux Bruce Boudreaux stories the hot dog story uh, yeah <laughs> hey, image right when you're it's all about the image when you're trying to get to the big leagues, right? So I wouldn't, you know, if we had brass down here from Vegas or anything like that, I'd make sure I'm clean shaven, I'm sharp, I'm, I'm not sloppy with my suit or anything. And that goes the same for anybody when you got the big dogs in town. And, um, you know, I remember him telling me a story when he was in Hershey and they, they've got a phenomenal pregame meal, big buffets, you know, they could have all the finest foods. But my dad's a... Uh, through and through he's a simple guy he's a hot dog guy and uh you know he always has two hot dogs at the pregame meal and so um he's telling the story he was down hershey's affiliated with washington at the time and dan beaker comes around the corner say hey gabby you know uh, uh george is on his way down he's coming around the hall so he had these two dogs sitting there and he didn't <laughs> didn't want to get rid of them but he also you know didn't right. didn't want him to see it so the one that was in his hand, I think he put in the drawer. The other one, he kind of hid in his jacket pocket, <laughs> closed the jacket pocket, and concealed his hot dog on the inside flap only to leave an absolute mess all game <laughs> up and down his shirt that he had to coach a game with, right? So it was just a clever way of hiding the hot dog from the brass because he didn't want to leave a bad impression, just the bad stain on the shirt from the hot dog. So that was the that that was one of those stories where you didn't want to be seen. So it was pretty funny. Hey, and to, to do that, we were in Kalamazoo, and they had the hot dog night on, I forget what night it was, but they had the $2 hot dogs yeah. and only went to 8.30, and I was starving, and I didn't order a meal. So I was like, hey, Joe. You know, can you, can you grab me a dog for, you know, after the game? Yeah. And he's like, that's hilarious. Your dad would ask me the same thing every single game. <laughs> so, so I guess it's like father, like son. I, yeah, I sent Joe to uh, to do some uh, retrieval of the hot dog. So it was just, he's like, 20 years later, who knew I'd be fetching hot dogs for, for another Boudreaux. For another Boudreaux. <laughs> so that, uh, I guess uh, the apple doesn't far fall too far from the tree oh that's fantastic oh yeah. all right benny well that's that's our time but i could do that we could do this all day and we probably will again so yeah we'll have definitely have to have part two and we'll also have you in to tell flint stories so. the, the flint story one's going to be a lot of fun you yeah. know it's going to be a lot of fun so yeah. today like just to, to end it real quick is you know today we had 11 forwards they asked me to jump out in a couple of drills and you know i wasn't i was I was bad all over the ice. I was just, I was in wrong positions, turning the puck over, and I just told Shasma, I just want to remind you of what it was like to play with me. So that was <laughs> that was the only thing that that was out there. But we'll have some great stories that we can look back on and kind of laugh now that we all survived the the Flint days. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Shane. All right, thanks, buddy. I warned you. I warned you that was gonna be funny. 
Ben Boudreaux, what great stories. We could have gone on for a couple of hours, and I think we probably will. We're going to have to have Ben back to tell some more stories, and we hinted at having just an episode about Flint. So we'll have Jamie Shasma, Ben Boudreaux, and a special guest. But we now know who that special guest is going to be. It's going to be Craig Sescon, who joined the team last week. He was on those Flint teams with those two guys, and they have got just some hilarious stories. So that will do it for this week's episode. It was a great one. We're going to have to have Ben back. Thank you for joining us. Hope you enjoyed it. This is the Combat Ops Arena Comets Podcast.